All right, there's a saying, and it goes like this, love makes fools of us all. Now, the reason a saying like that exists, that love makes fools of us all, is because love and sex really does make us do some pretty crazy stuff. If you're in year seven, chances are this stuff hasn't completely kind of got its claws into your brain yet, but it will soon, because love and sex really does just make you do nuts stuff. It's crazy. I can speak confidently about the fact that that's the case, because I too am a victim of love. Ages ago, before I was married, and before I met my wife, it made me into a fool. One time I was at my mate's house and I kind of spent the day hanging out at my mate's house with all these other people, including this girl who I kind of had my eye on. And so we're having a fun day together and kind of flirting and talking and blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the day, we all went home and she left her rashi behind next to the pool. And I was like, okay, a little opportunity here. I'll just grab this rashi, I'll return it to her and say, oh, I got your rashi for you. And it'll just give me a chance to spark up conversation again when I see her at church or something. I think the equivalent for you guys now is like you Facebook stalk people. I was like rashy stalking someone, right? And so anyway, I grabbed this rashy and started driving home. But problem was, 20 minutes down the road, my friend helped me to realize that she wasn't wearing that rashy. Some other angry dude who owned the house that we were at owned the rashy. And I was like, no, I've stolen this angry dude's rashy. And I was so embarrassed that I didn't want to tell him. I just drove 20 minutes back to his house full-on did a stealth mission, like on my belly, down the street, across this guy's driveway, over his side fence, through his backyard, crazy dogs barking at me, kind of fighting it off, jumped the pool fence, snuck into the pool, put it back where I'd stolen it from, and then snuck, snuck out and legged it home. And it was, it was a bad night, because I didn't want anyone to see how silly I'd been for love. Right? That's just one story. I could tell you about the time that I used Nair hair removal to to get rid of all my back hair so I could impress a girl. Like, yeah, the absence of hair is going to impress a girl. That's just every other normal human being in the world except for me. But anyway, I I tried to get rid of my back hair with Nair hair removal. But the problem was, all it did was made me smell heaps like strawberry-flavoured Nair and burnt hair for the rest of the night. Um, I could tell you about the time that I was trying to stop my friend from letting go of some information about something I'd said about a girl that I liked. This one was my wife. I'd said something about this girl, and my friend's going to tell her, and to stop him telling her and and kind of saying this stuff, I was like wrestling him in my lounge room to the point that I accidentally dislocated his hip, and his like hip popped out. We're like wrestling, and I was like... And he looks, oh, my hip! And I went... And he goes, oh, we're okay. And then we kept on wrestling, right? And so... Love and sex really does make us do crazy stuff. And I'm sure you guys, by now, some of you will have your own stories about how love and sex has made you do crazy things. Sure it does. But why does it do that to us? Why is there so many good stories that we all have about the silly things we've done for love? I reckon the reason is that we care about love and we care about sex. Um, like When I say sex, I mean the whole broad thing of our sexuality, okay? Not just the sex, sex, right? Okay, but we care about these things so much because it's actually an idol for many of us. It's something that we would do anything for. 
And so lurking around in the background, behind all this niceness and funny stories and romantic stories, for many of us is actually a huge idol. We worship as God in our lives. And I can, I, I've seen too many Christians, too many Christians who have betrayed their God and put, and put their trust and their hope in love and sex instead of the one true God. Anything that you put in the place of God is an idol, even good things. But ultimately, if you follow this idol of love and sex, it will lead you away from the one true God and it will cause you to worship a fake, a counterfeit. And God hates it. Remember last night we saw that idolatry devalues God. That's where we're heading tonight. Now, in each of these three talks, this one and the next two, uh, we're going to kind of zoom in on a specific idol, like we are tonight, on love and sex. And we're going to see how that idol works, and then we're going to understand how Jesus kind of speaks into that idol, how we can be rescued from and replace that idol. And as we look at each of these idols, what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in on a story of someone in the Bible who's been following that idol and kind of see how it works in their life. Now, in Genesis chapter 29, we're not going to be covering everything that Genesis chapter 29 is about. We're not going to be seeing everything that Genesis 29 has for us. We're going to be particularly looking at what it says about love and sex, okay? But what you should know is that there's bigger things going on in Genesis chapter 29 than just love and sex. There's some huge things going on here. And so I'm going to very quickly give you the bigger picture because God, as the story unfolds in Genesis 29, is actually bringing about a people, this nation called Israel. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, God made some promises to a guy called Abraham. And what we're seeing is the unfolding of these promises that God has made to bring about this nation called Israel. But as we see the details of this story, there's a little smaller story going on and we see a love triangle going on between this guy called Jacob. And who are the other two characters? Two, two girls. Who are the two girls? Rachel and Leah, that's right. So there's a love triangle between Jacob, Rachel and Leah. And many people would say that this story of, of Jacob and Rachel is like the best love story that the Bible has. <laughs> but I reckon it's actually an idle story. It's a story about idolatry. Because look at the details of what goes on there. Here's the first thing I want you guys to see in this story as we look at it. Jacob is a guy who followed the idol of sex instead of God. Jacob followed the idol of sex. And look what happens to Jacob. He's at this well, right? He's getting his water from a well and he meets this hottie named Rachel. And he's like, wow, she's smoking hot. And, and he decides to go and work for this chick's dad, Laban. And Laban says to Jacob, what will you work for? What's your wages? How much should I pay you? Check out what happens. Chapter 29, verse 16 to 18. Laban, and his, uh, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. I love this. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. And Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. 
<laughs> it's saying that Leah has weak eyes. Basically, it's saying she's like ugly. But Rachel was smoking hot. She's so beautiful. And he said, man, I'll work for you for seven years if you let me marry your daughter, Rachel. Now, seven years' work for like an average adult today is like half a million dollars. That's how much an average adult earns in seven years. That's pretty cool, hey? Think about that. Now, it was normal back then that you would pay the father of the person you're going to marry. You would pay them what's called a dowry. You'd pay them some money and you'd give it to them as just kind of part of their tradition. But half a million dollars, seven years' work is just crazy. It's ridiculous. And Jacob says, I'll work for seven years if I can marry her. And so I reckon at this point, that Laban guy, the father, he's like, ah, oh, bingo, this guy is a sucker. He will do anything to be with this Rachel chick. This is great, my, my daughter, this Rachel chick. <laughs> and so Jacob works for seven years. And you notice that line where everyone went, oh, he works for seven years, but they only felt like a few days because of his love for her. And everyone goes, oh. Now, at the start I said, Jacob worships the idol of sex. But at the same time, notice that I'm pretty sure this guy's in love with this girl. And so we're going to think into the fact that he's worshipping the idol of sex here. But notice that when someone follows and worships sex as their God, it's not often, sometimes, but not always going to be in a vacuum and there's nothing to do with love with it. Often when we worship sex, we worship love at the same time and they come as a package deal. But he is worshipping sex. Check out verse 21. It's pretty funny. Verse 21. So he's just done his work for seven years and then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. Now this is a dude talking to a, a girl's father and basically he's saying, dude, I'm done waiting. Give me your daughter. I want to have sex. Now, I'm not trying to be rude. He's literally just, give me your daughter. I want to have sex now. It's time. <laughs> yes, he's in love with her, but man, he is driven by the, by the prospect of having sex with this guy's daughter. This guy's been driven crazy by the idol of sex. And so as the story unfolds, they, they go to have their sweet wedding day and they have a good feast and all that kind of stuff and it heads into the night and this is a pretty funny detail of the story if you caught what was going on. Just as it's kind of heading into the wedding night time, Laban does like the sneaky sneak and he, and he gives his daughter Leah instead of Rachel to Jacob and, and he doesn't even realize it because it's like dark and stuff I assume and they don't have very good lighting. But then in the morning, if, if you have an ESV it's even funnier, in the ESV, it says in the morning, when morning came, behold, there was Leah. And so Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Man, it's a fail, hey? Behold, there was Leah. He's freaking out. And so Laban fully well knows how easy it is to take advantage of this sucker who's serving the idol of sex. And so Laban says, tell you what, all right, that's just how we do things. That's how we roll in our country. We just give the older ones. Sorry, I didn't tell you that earlier. Oops. And he goes, if you work for me for another seven years, then you can marry Rachel. And guess what Jacob does? I'm in. He's in. 14 years work. <laughs> and then finally he gets what he wants in verse 30. All right. Here's a bit sad. This is what they'd have to censor if this was a movie. The screen would go black. 
Jacob lay with Rachel also. He loved Rachel more than Leah and he worked for Laban for another seven years. Wow. 14 years. Can you see how this idol has gotten a hold of Jacob? Can you see it in action, in the things that he does, in the decisions that he makes, in the way that he lives? Can you see how he'll do anything for sex? He's serving love and he's serving sex with a passion that really is only for God. He'll do anything. There's a second character, though, in this story, and that, and that person is Leah. She's a bit of a quieter character. But Leah is a woman that it seems as though Leah worships the idol of love. She puts love in the place of God. See, because of her dad's shenanigans and all these crazy mix-ups and behold, there was Leah kind of stuff, um, she's ended up married to this guy, Jacob, who doesn't love her. Jacob loves Rachel. He doesn't love Leah. And so Leah's put in this awful situation and it's tearing her apart because all she desperately wants is to be loved by her husband. So check out verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb and she, uh, Rachel was barren. Okay, so notice the story specifically says Rachel's not loved, verse 31. And so look at verse 32. Uh, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and she named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now that I've had a son. So here's a woman who desperately wants to be loved by this man. And she's hoping that if she has a son, that's somehow going to change things and, and bring about this thing that she wants so badly. It doesn't work though. Look at verse 33. She conceived again and she gave birth to a son and she said, because the Lord has heard that I'm not loved, he's given me this one too. And so she named him Simeon. And so she hopes desperately again, maybe I've got two sons, maybe this will work. What about three sons? Check out verse 34. After she conceived and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. And so she named him Levi. Now at last my husband will love me. That doesn't work either. And so finally in verse 35, she gets it. She lets go of chasing this thing of love as ultimate. And instead, she puts all her trust in God. Verse 35, she conceived again and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, this time I'll praise the Lord. And so she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. So you notice in all the details of that story, the story never condemns love or sex as being wrong. They're good gifts from God. They're good things. But when we treat them as ultimate, things really start to fall apart and we fail to love God most. And then if that happens for you, what you've got is you've got an idol on your hands. When you love this thing, love or sex or whatever it is, instead of God most of all. And so at that point, it becomes an idol. It becomes sin. 
and it angers God. Now, I wonder if you guys can see yourselves anywhere in this story. I wonder if this is any of us. I bet it is. Are you a Jacob? Is sex your idol? Now, this could become obvious in a couple of ways, right? Number one, you know that sex is your idol if you're willing to disobey God with the use of wrong sex, sexual immorality. See, the Bible's very clear on how God wants us to use sex. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with me. Flick over into the New Testament. We were here last night. 1 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 5. What I want us to see is how God does want us to use sex or how he doesn't want us to use sex. And it'll become very clear where we've got an idol. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 3 to 5. verse 3 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. It's it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do do not know God. And so... He talks about sexual immorality there. Now, sexual immorality is not just about literally any sex outside of marriage. Sexual immorality is kind of a broader category of any misuse of sex. It's people who don't control their bodies. It's people who lust in their minds. It's people who have any misuse of their sexuality in their thoughts, in their actions, in, in any way, not just literally sex outside of marriage. It, it includes that, though. That's what sexual immorality is. And so, you're turning sex into an idol by disobeying God when you mess around with people at parties, when you're getting too close with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Not just having sex, it could be that, or it could be just anything sexual with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You're, you're turning sex into an idol and disobeying God. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at porn, you're turning sex into an idol and disobeying God. If you don't look at porn, but lust in your head about people who are not your husband or wife. And so when we give in to these things and we choose to sin rather than obey God, we're making an idol out of that thing. We saw that last night. See, when we choose to sin with anything, what we're, what we're saying is, God, I see you, I know that you're important, but I think that blank, blank, whatever it is you're going to put in that place is even more important, and so I'm going to sin against you, I'm going to disobey you, I'm going to choose this thing over you. That's idolatry. And it's idolatry when we do that with sex. And guys, honestly, I think this is probably the biggest challenge that Christian teenagers face today. I reckon it's probably your biggest challenge as a, as a generalisation. It's huge. And so I want to encourage you guys to fight. Fight against this stuff. Worship God, live for God instead of sex. So here's two practical tips about how you can do that, all right? Number one, practical tip. Talk to someone. Talk about it. 
if you struggle with these things, talk about it with someone else. Share with each other. You'll find that you guys have pretty similar struggles going on in your life. See, go to your G teams and talk about it there. Talk to your leaders. Talk to your Christian mates about it. Often the power of sin, particularly sin that we're really ashamed of, the power of it is its secrecy. We think that no one knows about this but me and we pretend that God doesn't know about it and so there's kind of this weird secret world we develop and there's all this sin that kind of fills it out and rots it out. Talk to someone. Talk to someone tonight if you're struggling with this stuff. If you really want to do something about it, it's going to be hard and awkward and a bit weird but if you really wanted to to change and see things happen, talk to someone about it. Number two, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend... Set clear boundaries. Set clear boundaries. Set boundaries that are way, way back in the safe zone when it comes to sex. You know on train stations, right, how they have like the platform and the edge where you fall off and you die if you go down there, and then there's a yellow line, and the theory is stand behind the yellow line and you're going to be safe. You're not going to get run over by a train. Like if this is the platform, they don't paint the yellow line just there so that if you're like, whoops, just a little bit too close, suddenly I'm getting hit by a train. They paint the yellow line like way back here so that even if you have a small mistake, you're still a long way from getting run over by a train, yeah? Make sense? That's how the yellow line works. We'll paint your yellow line when it comes to boundaries. Boundaries have <laughs> become theme-orientated. When it comes to boundaries, paint your yellow line way back here. So even if you do have a small mistake and you don't do exactly what you want to do all the time, you're a long way from making a big mistake and falling into, uh, into, into more and more sin in this area. Ephesians 5.3 says that there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality among Christians. So make that your standard. Don't muck around with this stuff. It's like being soaked in petrol and playing with matches, going, oh, let's, let's light a fire. If you're asking the question, how far can I go before I get burnt with this stuff, you're asking the wrong question. How far can I get away from, from sexual morality? Not how far is just, just, just beyond too far. No, no. Completely distance yourselves from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Listen to what the Bible says. And so there it is. There's number one. You know that sex is your idol when you're willing to disobey God for sex. Or any, in, in, any, in any sense, the broader picture, right? Secondly, sex could be your idol if you build your life around the, the prospect or the idea of right sex in marriage. I mentioned this last night. I'll say it again really quickly. Are you building your whole life and your future and everything you live for and think about and do on the prospect of getting married and then having sex? Have you put it up in like this hectic pedestal in your life? Now, for juniors, you guys are like married. <laughs> My parents just got married. I'm not getting married anytime soon. Like, <laughs> you guys are like, you guys, you feel like you're a long way from marriage. But for some seniors, the, the possibility is that you could be married in not that long away. It'll be a few years, but... It's not forever away. And so for those of you for whom marriage is kind of a little bit more in reach, you probably don't talk about it much because you're a bit embarrassed, but in your head, have you built sex up to be this massive idol? Have you made it your God? 
That's what Jacob did well before he was married. <laughs> Sex in marriage was his idol. Seven years working away, waiting. And he worked for another seven after he got what he wanted. So that exposed where his heart was at. And so does the idea of future sex dominate your thoughts? Do you base your life decisions on it? Is it all you think about? Is it all you want more than anything else? Is it your greatest desire above and beyond God himself? Because if it is, it could be an idol for you. Or maybe sex isn't your idol, but are you a Leah? Are you a Leah? Is love your idol? See, it's good and normal to want to be in love. That's a good thing. You know, love's great. But have you taken a good thing and made it a God thing, an ultimate thing? Do you love romantic love more than you love God? Now, that might come out in a whole bunch of ways, and I'll kind of dig in and and unpack that for you a little bit after I find my water bottle. Yeah. Do you love love, romantic love, more than you love God? And so, would you do things four things here. Would you do things that you know are wrong to get the attention of someone that you love? Do you dress inappropriately? Because you know, particularly girls, know that the girls who dress this way are going to get more attention from guys. Is that you? Man, guys and girls, both of you dress right. Be godly in the way you dress and trust that God will give you the right sort of attention from the right sort of guy. What about guys? Guys, do you obsess over the way that you look and spend hours in the gym just so you can get the attention of the girl that you like or some future girl that you want to like you? Now, going to the gym is not wrong. Going to the gym is good. It's good to be fit. It's good to be healthy. (laughs) But if you're obsessed with the way you look and it just completely drives your life because of love or the prospect of being loved by someone else could be an idol could be don't see the first buff person you can find and go idol it could if they're ha- like hazy's never been in a gym in his life but he's like one of the buffest people i know just i don't know what he does i think he's got his hands in the air too much and he's all muscly but um sorry hazy you know i love you um all right three for people who are in a relationship is that relationship an idol is that relationship an idol? It may not be. So don't, don't kind of hear this and go, oh, yeah, he's talking to me, I'm in a relationship. Oh, no, my relationship is an idol. Right? Don't just hear me say this and assume that you're guilty of this just because you're in a relationship. But think about your relationship. Do you prioritize that person or that relationship over your relationship with God? Do you want that person to prioritize you over their relationship with God? If you worked out that your boyfriend and girlfriend relationship actually was not helping your relationship with God, but it was doing the opposite of that, would you have the guts to break up if it came to it? Would you? If the answer is, man, I could never break up, I would never break up, or I just can't possibly do that no matter what, then maybe you love that person more than you love God. Could be. Last one. If you're single, how do you cope with being single? 
Are you always chasing someone? Are you always needing the attention of the opposite sex? Will you never be content? Will you never be happy unless you've got someone that you're chasing or someone who's chasing you? No matter what, you just won't be satisfied until that's the case. I've known a lot of Christians who've lived their lives that way right up until the point where they get married and they realise, oh, it's never going to make me perfectly happy in the end anyway. Yeah, marriage is great, but it didn't solve all my problems. A lot of people will never be content unless they're in a relationship. I reckon I was like this when I was single. Heaps of the time, my life was just dominated by trying to get the attention of this person I liked or whatever. So if you're not content with being single, if you can't cope unless you, you aren't single, then maybe this is an idol for you. Okay. So there's a picture of love and sex. There's, there's kind of, you can see love and sex at work in Jacob and, and Leah's lives. You can see, I've kind of pointed out some ways where we can see love and sex and that idol at work in our lives. What do we do about it? If I've just kind of tapped into something for you where you've gone, oh, yeah, this could be me. What do we do about it? How do we deal with it? Because I reckon our natural reaction is to go, oh, idol, that's a bad thing, therefore I'm just going to be like like the guy who's trying to get over the girl or whatever and just be like, I hate her, 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 and just kind of, you know, somehow turn, you just, you just hate sin in your life, and you're like, I hate it so much, and you just focus on that, or maybe, I know, you wig out and decide, oh, I've just got to hate my girlfriend or whatever. You might come up with all sorts of ideas. But yesterday we saw from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 it's bigger than that we need to be rescued from this idol and we need to replace this idol with the right thing and so first of all our rescue where does that come from well just like we talked about yesterday the biggest problem with any idol including the idol of love and sex is that it makes God angry. This idol will mess up your life. It'll cause you a whole bunch of pain and do all sorts of things to your life, just like Jacob and Leah and Rachel had a pretty messy life. It'll do all of that. But the biggest problem is that our idolatry makes God furious. He alone is God. He's the one we should worship. He's the one who deserves the place of God. And so when we say to him, I don't want you, I want sex instead. I don't want you, I want love instead then he's furious about that and he's going to judge us for our sin and our idolatry so we need rescuing and so come and check out our rescue romans chapter 8 here's our rescue romans chapter 8 starting in verse 31 and 32 god's love rescues us from the idol of love and sex. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, God gave us Jesus to take his anger at our idolatry. And Jesus does that when he dies on the cross. Like I said yesterday, like that couple in Byron Bay, you've got the husband who puts himself in front of the wife and he takes the, 
the shark bite and dies and so on. In the same way, Jesus literally places himself in front of God's anger at our idolatry. And so if you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1, this is one of the best verses in the Bible. Check out this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no anger at our sin if you're in Jesus. This is our rescue from the idol of love and sex. It's God's love for us in Jesus. But you know what? (laughs) God's love for us in Jesus is also the thing that we should replace our idol with as well. Because the cross shows us how much God loves us. It's amazing what God has done in the cross. Replace your idol of love and sex with God's love for you. So check out verses 35 to 39 of chapter 8. This is God's love and it's amazing. Check it out. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Is that going to separate us? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves us so much and he shows it by sending Jesus. And that love is awesome. It's unshakable. It's untouchable. Nothing can change it. Nothing in the world can stop it. Demons, death, hard times, what's going on in your life right now, what's going to happen in your life in the future. If you're a Christian, there's nothing in all of creation at all that can separate you from God's love for you in Jesus. Nothing can change it. And so guys, do you see how good God's love is? Do you see it? Worst case scenario, if you died tomorrow, I can't think of much worse things than that, you're just going to be with God. (laughs) If you're a Christian, God's love for you is as certain as Jesus' death for you. And so as good as you think the love from this girl or that guy or whatever is going to be, man, it's rubbish compared to God's love. It's got nothing on God's love. As much as you love your girlfriend or your boyfriend, it's got nothing on God's love. When you seek fulfillment and ultimate pleasure in sex, in sexual sin, God's love is always better and infinitely more fulfilling. I'll give you an illustration to help you think about how this works. There's a sad thing that often happens for girls, and, and guys as well actually, but particularly for girls, when they don't have a good relationship with their fathers when they're younger. It's often the case that girls who've not been loved well by their fathers, um, often, not always, but often, will go on to, to sleep around and to have kind of really destructive relationships with other men as they get older and they get used sexually again and again and again. The reason this happens is that often psychologically, 
they're, they're missing this, uh, this right love from when they were originally younger with their father. And so they're seeking that love in wrong places from older men now. A right love from their fathers means they don't need to feel the they don't need to go and chase wrong love in bad places, in bad substitutes in the future. It's a little bit similar to God's love for us. Knowing the full extent of God's love, feeling the full extent of God's love for us frees us from the need to go and chase ultimate fulfillment in other places, in other types of love. Focus on God's love. Rest in it. Know, if you're a Christian, know that you're loved more deeply than you can ever imagine. Because you really are. Replace your idol of sex and love with God's love for you. Worship the God who loves you, not his creation, his good creation, love and sex. Now, God may be good enough, and, and for most of you, he will be good enough. Um, and if he isn't, he's still good. But for most of you guys, it's going to be the case that he will give you relationships and love and sex in your life at some point. It's probably going to happen, but it doesn't need to be ultimate anymore when you're resting in God's love instead. You won't live or die and, and make your whole life about love and sex. And so you don't need to be insecure and chase after guy after guy after guy <laughs> because God loves you. And it doesn't matter if that girl never notices you, ever, <laughs> because God loves you. And you can be alone and you can be single and you don't have to be in a relationship because God loves you. And sex won't bring you ultimate fulfillment, but God will. God loves you. God loves us enough to send his son. He didn't spare his son to die and rescue us from our sin, from our idols. God loves us. How good is that? Let's pray. Now, Father God, thank you that we are loved in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know how big and how huge that love is more and more. Lord, help us to see it more and more clearly as we, as we press into the cross and see what it is you've done there. Father, thank you for that love. Thank you that no matter what happens in this life, whether we go through life happily in love and enjoying all those things or, or it's not ours at all, Lord, thank you that we have all the love that we need in you. Lord, please help us to, to thank you for your good creations of love and sex and not treat them as our God instead. Amen.